This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now watching the world right now, the geopolitical situation is changing. Many people believe the Russian invasion of Ukraine is one example. The support that, that for that invasion from China, from Iran, from South Africa, from many places. There is, it seems, a hardening of positions between autocrats and Democrats. The emergence of Donald Trump in the United States raises serious questions because the United States is the most powerful nation in the West, the richest, and with the biggest armory and the most power. And the possibility is that our world will change dramatically in the not-too-distant future. Putin has mentioned using nuclear weapons. The Chinese are supporting Putin, but not on the nuclear weapons question. But it is a time of great change. There is no doubt about that. Great danger, and for the people of Ukraine, great suffering. And for people in Europe in particular who have experienced communism and Soviet rule, fear. To discuss this, we're joined by Professor Dimit Ferret, a professor of modern Irish history at UCD, one of our most valued contributors to the stand since we began. But we want, there is a context here, and it is what can only be described as an outburst by President Michael D. Higgins against the government and against government policy. In the light of this changing world, the Tonishta and Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Martin, has convened for next week a consultative forum on international security policy. It's a series of four panel discussions set up to generate discussions on our foreign security and defence policies. Many people believe that that's a very important thing that we need to do as a nation who remains neutral and has valued its neutrality. Dermot, let me ask you first, you, Michael de Higgins has been strongly criticised but not named by any politician because it is said they're afraid of his popularity. You went on 6-1 News on Monday night and you forcefully defended his right to comment on this element of government policy. His comments were 
in my view, scurrilous, uh, particularly as they relate to Louise Richardson, who is going to chair these matters. Would you disagree with my belief that this is an interference in government policy and that the attack on Louise Richardson, who is a dame of the British Empire, an Irish woman, was scurrilous? No, I don't apologize for it yesterday. I don't think it was scurrilous. In relation to Louise Richardson, Louise Richardson is a very highly regarded academic and she has done very important work and she's a very decorated academic. Um, And I wouldn't be impugning her integrity or her professionalism or her right to accept and use the title that has been bestowed on her as a commander of the British Empire. However, we certainly in this republic, in my view, do not need to be overly deferential when it comes to such a title. I don't think personally that it's appropriate for someone who is carrying that title and comfortable with that title to be chairing these very sensitive discussions in this country of all countries. That's my own view. That's not a a comment or or a scurrilous comment in my view. I think it's perfectly legitimate uh, to raise that. Yes, you indicated that you had been invited to participate and that one of the reasons, if I got your meaning correctly, was that you took exception to Louise Richardson's chairing of this. I did. And and I, I mean, I was invited um, to take part in this consultative forum. There are a number of different issues there. That was one issue. The other issue, as I've argued this before, that the Tanishta, who is on record, obviously, as saying that Irish neutrality needs to evolve, did accept in the past that a suitable forum for this would be a citizens' assembly. Now, what we have instead are panels of invited guests, uh, many fine people there, uh, but also some who are on record as uh, having an issue or a problem with Ireland's security policy and with uh, Ireland's neutral status. And yeah, have you got not, a difficulty with that? I've got a very great problem well, uh, whether or in, not this, in, the, in the contemporary world with our neutrality. Oh, I know, I know. And I mean, this is, I'm not for a moment suggesting that this doesn't need to be debated. It does need to be debated. But the extent to which it is a forum or stretches the definition of a forum uh, is something that we should consider. The difference between, you know, this kind of arrangement and a citizens' assembly is that you don't have that robust engagement uh, by citizens. What you have instead, yes, the discussions are going to be live streams. There is a facility for, for entering questions. But I know that there are people who are strong defenders of neutrality who wanted to make you know more formal uh, interventions or formal statements uh, who are not being permitted to do that. So I do think there's a problem uh, with the format. I have no problem with the idea of a debate or discussion, um, but I felt personally that there should have been adherence to the original uh, suggestion of a citizens' assembly, because that form of deliberative democracy uh, has worked quite well in relation to other areas. And I think it's very important in this country, particularly, that we have that sense of the people being involved in the discussion and being uh, consulted. You'll be well aware, as I am, that consistently over the decades, about two-thirds of the Irish people asked uh, have stated a preference for Ireland maintaining its neutrality, however they define it. And I think that leads on to the point you're making. There is no singular definition of Irish neutrality. I'm very conscious of that wearing my historian's hat, obviously, about the way in which neutrality uh, has has evolved. Um, and what's interesting about what uh, about the president's intervention is that he, of course, has very strong personal and political views on the question of neutrality. He's held them, obviously, uh, well before his presidency. There is an issue, of course, to be debated about the appropriateness 
of a president intervening in a sensitive matter like that. There's also the question then of whether or not his position according to the Constitution, as Supreme Commander of the Defence Forces, should preclude him from comment on matters of defence and security. Should he not be afforded the same right as those who are being invited to contribute to this consultative forum? And, you know, what constitutes an appropriate intervention or comment by a president? Well, I'll tell you... The provisions provisions relating to the Constitution obviously haven't changed. You've made a number of points there, and uh, there's one I would like to make clear. You ask what should prevent a president from expressing views. Well, one thing that should prevent him from expressing views is if the views are insulting. And this is what Michael D. Higgins apologized for yesterday. He talked about Louise Richardson, and here's what he said, because many people won't have read the Sunday Business Mm. Post, which did well to publish this piece, and it's a very good newspaper. He says, and I quote, and the person who's in charge of this is a person with a very large DBE, Dame of the British Empire, he said, referring to political scientist Louise Richardson. I think it's grand, but you know, I think there were a few candidates I could have come up with myself. This is really kind of pub talk. No, it's Um, not. Well, Why wouldn't it irk the president of a republic to see that discussion being chaired by somebody who was constantly referred to with those letters? Well, after let her me name? tell you something about her. You probably know something about her, but she has, she's a very distinguished Irish woman. I've acknowledged all that. She had one of her great causes when she was in charge as she's at Oxford was the promotion and the facilitating of young, working-class people to get to university. I'm well aware of that. You are. This is not about that, Eamon. This is not about what she did at Oxford. This is about her chairing these discussions on on neutrality for an Irish Republic when she is carrying proudly the title of Commander of the British Empire. I don't think that's appropriate. The President obviously doesn't either. Why doesn't he have a right to hold that view? My my view is this. He's the right to hold any view he wants. But why is not expressed in a dignified and, if you want, presidential way? Why is it uh, addressed in in an insulting way? Yeah, it wasn't dig- it wasn't dignified and it wasn't presidential. I agree with you, and I presume right. that's why he has apologized. And Michael D. Higgins should never be beyond criticism. The whole point for me of this debate is that we can robustly uh, take these positions in a republic. We don't have to be fawning. We don't have to be overly deferential in relation to our president, but nor do we have to be overly fawning or deferential in relation to senior academics who have been bestowed with these titles relating to the British Empire. Can you understand, Eamon, why that might sit uncomfortably with a lot of (laughs) Irish people, particularly when this is going to be the person who will be the sole author of a report in relation to our fundamental security policy. Well, What about it, the history of the British a, Empire? Is well, that completely irrelevant here? No, uh, the history of the Soviet Union, the British Empire, the, uh, the history of the United States of America, if you want, all of these things are hugely important. Uh, the history and the, the contemporary behavior of China. There is nothing here that is off the table. The question is, there are a number of questions raised. Should we be derisive, and there's no other word for the language and the comments of 
Michael D. Higgins, which he apologized for yesterday, about somebody who is clearly an outstanding academic uh, political scientist and someone who has tried to bridge the gap between disadvantaged people and higher education in, in the United Kingdom. Leave that aside. Interference in government policy on a continuing basis. Now, would you agree with me that no. Michael D. Higgins is continually now in the news, interfering with and attempting to undermine? Would you say, for example, would you agree with me that his comments last week and the way they were phrased were either advertently or inadvertently designed to undermine this government initiative, which is a consultative forum on our international security policy. Yes, they clearly they were, were designed right. uh, to express disapproval. Is the disapproval. president, therefore, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the Constitution as I am, is the president entitled to undermine or attempt to undermine in one manner or another, by derision or something else, government policy. I think you're being very emotive there I in am. relation to your own language about, you know, well, this constant you reference to for uh, derision. It's one thing to talk about intemperate well, comments in, in relation now, to an now, individual like Richardson. If you, if like you Richardson. make a statement, Dermot, you must back it up. Oh, well, this, I tell you, I, you're not I, letting I, me back I, it up. Well, I, I'm going to tell you what he said. I've told you before, but I'll tell you again. He said of Louise Richards and her appointment that he could have come up with a few candidates himself. Yeah. Now, what, what did that mean? I have no idea what he meant like that. He obviously has ideas as to who would have been more appropriate. Would it have been, but would you have been happy if, if you, would you have been happy? for Foreign Affairs who if, was making decisions Would you have on been this? happy if he had named the individuals that he uh, might have in mind? Uh, I presume that would have been uh, inappropriate for him to do. The <laughs> point, go, um, go the ahead. point, the point, uh, like, forget about the Louise Richardson uh, question because we, we, we've dealt with that. Uh, no, point, we haven't dealt with that because... Well, I'm sorry, but Eamon, I find your uh, fawning attitude uh, to Professor pardon. Richardson to be troubling as well. Yes, I do. Because I don't understand the fixation... What's the difference between on, fawning and respectful? Well, the difference is in your tone and in your constant references uh, to her brilliance, which, of course, can be debated. There are those you referred uh, who to might her brilliance yourself. I didn't. I said she's a very respected uh, oh, academic, okay. and she has many achievements now to her name. Let's try and calm and, things know. down down a little bit and get to the facts. But I think you're getting fixated on on Richardson. Uh, clearly, no, there is an issue here about whether it is appropriate for an Irish president to make the kind of comments that he did to the Sunday Business Post. That, of course, is debatable. I would be the first to say that a very forceful case can be made as to why a president should not make these kind of comments or intervene in relation to government proposals or government ideas. I could equally make a forceful case, and I have made it, that our presidency has evolved. We did not elect Michael D. Higgins, in my view, to stay quiet and a prisoner of protocol and only speak from an approved government script. He has made the point continually that he wanted to continue opening up the presidency within the Constitution. We talk about lines being crossed all of the time. Where is it in the Constitution that a president 
cannot give interviews or cannot express views. Yes, they cannot address the nation or the Oireachtas in a formal uh, capacity without the prior approval of a government, but nowhere does it specify in relation to their day-to-day activities or their interviews or the various functions that they attend that they cannot speak their mind. They make a declaration on taking the oath of office that they will dedicate their abilities to the service and the welfare of the people of Ireland. Now, what that constitutes that is subjective, Eamon, and you and I would have different views on it. Could you make the argument that in him expressing his views, particularly in relation to defence, that he is using his uh, abilities or he is using the autonomy uh, that we, some of us at least, want to see a president using um, to debate a, a matter of national interest, that he should have the capacity to be able to make a call as president, as somebody who takes precedence over everyone in the state according to the Constitution, that he should have the autonomy to make a call as what is in the national interest to say or or not to say. You're never going to get agreement in relation to uh, that particular issue, and it's not going to be spelled out uh, in a constitution. Do we want to return to the days when sen- when censors had their way when it came to presidential interventions and, and presidential speeches? That's what happened to Erskine Childers, for example, who came up with the idea again of of, of opening up the presidency uh, to make the presence the, the president more engaged. Uh, in in matters of public debate, and he was shot down, and he was rigorously censored. You know, the presidency has evolved. Has it? Has the the constitutional No, that's uh, the point I'm making. Yeah, well, I I, I, I was the first person to raise this question. Yeah, the constitution hasn't changed. When Mary Robinson began this extension, shall we call it, or expansion of the office of president in the Sunday Independent for a very long time, I faced up to that and said it was wrong. It is wrong, in my view. And what's wrong with it? Because if you want to make policy, you should run for office in the Dáil as a representative of the people. If you want to be president, then you have different obligations and duties. But you're misrepresenting Mary Robinson's position, Eamon, to be fair. She she, she made it specifically clear as a constitutional lawyer that she was not talking about policymaking. What she said specifically was that she was looking for a mandate for a changed presidency within the parameters of the constitution. She wasn't talking about making policy. On specific, well, affecting policy, on specific issues to do with, for example, the Provisional IRA, then active, and Jerry Adams, whose hand she shook in West mm. Belfast, she clearly affected or endeavoured to affect policy. In my view, that was wrong. Now, Well, in that case, Eamon, you are going to regard any slightly challenging or controversial statement or gesture that any president makes uh, as being problematic and inappropriate, which means you want in effect, a powerless, mute head of state. I don't think that's what the electorate voted for in recent presidential elections. Why do we even bother having all of these debates during presidential elections about what candidates might bring to the office if that is what the office is going to be? Okay, well, let me ask you, Dermot, did you read the Sunday Business Post interview? I did. Right. And I was surprised by it. Uh, I was surprised at, at how forthright... Um, his comments were, uh, and I knew it was going to cause uh, serious trouble. I was very surprised by it. Um, uh, but Fergus Finlay 
was Dick Springs' uh, public relations mm. man in government, and Higgins was in that government, particularly the government of 1992 they formed with Fianna Fáil, which many people believe led to the destruction of the Labour Party, which continues to this day. They won 33 seats in the election. They basically ran against uh, that Fianna Fáil government, and we know all about them. They then went into government with Fianna Fáil. Fergus Finlay was um, a very powerful figure, as you know, in the Labour Party at that time. He described what Michael D. Higgins had to say in the interview about the substantive matter as rubbish. Now, I'm not describing it as rubbish. What I would put to you, because you have said you've re you read it, that it's not very clear about what Ireland's position in the world should be. He, he talks about the United Nations. The chair of the United Nations Security Council at the moment, that's a five-nation hmm. permanent, is Russia. And what Russia is doing in Ukraine is not something that the Irish people, as they've shown by their behavior, feel neutral about. Now, I want to ask, in that context, in the context of Putin's savage war crimes, the attack on the people of Ukraine, on that country's freedoms, what we should, what our position should be. Should it be neutral or should it be disagreeing and fundamentally supporting the Ukraine? What do you think? I think most people have made it very clear that they have great sympathy and support for Ukraine and the grotesque invasion and obviously there are an awful lot of Ukrainian people being hosted here. That's one contribution we can make. Um, the question there, of course, is whether we extend our sympathy and our involvement to getting involved in more formal military alliances. And yeah. this is the wider yes. context of, uh, about, you know, what we do in relation to um, international conflict. And let's not exaggerate our own significance or our own size or our own importance. Yes. I think one of the points the president was making was that, you know, historically, we have looked to international organizations that are supposed to be dedicated to peace and prevention uh, of, of conflict and tried to have some kind of a voice there that went way back to the League of Nations as well, which also failed in its mission. And the United Nations uh, has, has not been successful uh, in its mission. Um, but this question uh, of, of whether or not you are prepared to try and continue to have that independent voice in international affairs as opposed to being, you know, sucked into uh, military alliances where you have obviously very little capacity uh, to influence and very little uh, power uh, to influence affairs. That is going to be troubling. So is the idea of, of a formal EU uh, defense arrangement that we would be part of, which, of course, you know, common European defense policy under our own constitution since 2002, um, we cannot be part of that without a change in the constitution. Um, and this, as you mentioned at the outset, these recent events have raised all of these questions about whether or not we need to adapt, whether or not we need to, uh, as some would, people would see it, stop relying on the protection of others. Um, this is what presumably part of this debate about security policy in this consultative forum uh, is for, that you do have uh, a debate about our, our neutrality, which doesn't have to be seen as a matter for shame 
Um, there's a lot of talk in, in recent times about almost the moral degeneracy uh, of, of neutrality. Um, there are specific reasons why a small country, um, a post-colonial country in the shadow of a much larger and more powerful neighbour, uh, wanted to place a premium uh, on, on neutrality as an expression of sovereignty, sovereignty as an expression of independence. But it was never absolute. It's not mentioned in the Constitution. It's not enshrined in the Constitution in a way that it is, say, in Austria, uh, for example. Uh, we did it our own way. And the frequent assertion has been, of course, that we are militarily neutral and militarily non-aligned, but we're not politically uh, neutral. That script has been there for decades and has been repeated in the Doyle, uh, you know, when, when the question has arisen at various uh, stages. The argument that has been made by Michal Martin, the Tanisha, and others, is that that needs to change, that that needs to evolve. Um, and that's where we find ourselves now. Some would argue that this is a crossroads that we are at. Okay. We, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why the president was expressing such uh, strong views on it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, you mentioned there the small nations and Michael D. Higgins in his interview also mentions two small nations, Austria, which you just mentioned, and Malta. He doesn't mention, interestingly, Finland or, or Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Now, Finland has a 1,000-kilometer border with Russia and has in the past heroically defended that border. Finland has now applied, along with Sweden, who uh, the Swedish Swedes are renowned for their neutrality, they both have applied to join NATO. Now, in the conflict between Putin and Ukraine, NATO has been galvanized by Joe Biden and the United States administration, funded and 
armed and ready. And you could say, and I would say, that NATO is the West's real defense. Is there anything in that that you would disagree with? You could also say that NATO has not behaved responsibly for decades in relation to the the building up of its might and its power and its spread. And, you know, it's difficult right. in this immediate context to take a step back from all of this and, and, and take a longer view about how, you know, the post-Cold War world uh, and, and its defense arrangements uh, developed. But, you know, in the fullness of time, you know, th- there's going to have to be and there should be uh, more scrutiny in relation to that. And that's not about in any way uh, defending the aggression um, that we're talking about in Ukraine. But who, who, um, but who yes. Sorry, but, I mean, me, that, that's obviously how off, they yeah. are positioning themselves as, as, as the defenders of the West, as the defenders of the uh, free world. There's a huge amount uh, of, of money and, and power and armaments in relation to right. that. If uh, Donald Trump or perhaps Ron DeSantis had been president of the United States and it was America first and make America great again and isolationism effectively, what might have happened, do you think, to Ukraine? and arguably Moldova, possibly Lithuania, Poland. What might have happened given Putin's present aggression? I think such would have been the level of, of political pressure that built and was, was brought to bear uh, that they, they would have come round to the current position. Um, you know, I, Who would have come round well, to I, the current that the position? The United States would, uh, or those who were fashioning uh, American foreign policy. Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Uh, well, I mean, see, this is search? the world we're talking about. This yeah, but are you going to search for yeah consistency in relation to Donald Trump and you know and his assertions at uh, at various stages? Um, you know, he'd, he'd be the president of the United States. Yeah. He w- what Joe Biden has done, as I'm sure you know, Dermot, is galvanized, traveled, been to Europe, mm-hmm. and has really secured for Ukraine the means by which it might defend itself. It has not given Ukraine everything it wanted, but it has been a bulwark against an evil tyrant who is a war criminal already. Mm. I don't know, I can't say with confidence that Donald Trump would have even understood those concepts. No, I, I, I agree with you. You can't say with confidence anything uh, about Donald Trump in relation to that. But he's likely uh, to be the next president. If you look at the polls at the moment, uh, Biden's polls are really yeah, and, desperate. Uh, yeah, and I mean, we don't know. We don't know what way that is going to go. I mean, th- this situation is, is remarkably fraught and scary, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, the question is, you know, do we have to come in under the umbrella that is being spread. You mentioned Sweden uh, and Finland there. Yes. Uh, I mean, you know, and the border uh, with, with Russia, obviously Finland has a specific um, geographic location and, and, and border issue there that is going to be a huge influence. Um, you know, there's also, even in a place like Austria, you know, there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear on, on what's regarded as their traditional policy of, of neutrality. This is, is causing strain uh, in other neutral countries, some of which, of course, have had to resource their neutrality 
um, property. And that is not something that has ever been relevant to Ireland because neutrality is not something that has been uh, resourced here. Which uh, and the question will arise, to, though, yeah. in, you know, and especially because we're members of the EU, about, I suppose, the original reason why the EU was established, which was obviously to try and prevent uh, the kind of slaughter that had occurred during the Second World War and that sense of the EU as a significant uh, civil power, I suppose what will worry some is that that sense of the EU is going to be lost or that function is going to be lost because of the way in which geopolitics has gone and the way in which uh, conflict has developed. And do we throw our hands up in the air and say there's no role for neutrality anymore? Is that the fundamental uh, point? Is that the point you're making? Well, no, the point I'm making, actually, is that it was a, it's a good idea for Michal Martin as the Tónaiste and the Minister for Foreign Affairs to convene this four-day think-in, if you like, or this conference chaired uh, by Louise Richardson. I think it's a very good idea that the kind of conversation we're having now and the conversations that would have been had in Sweden, Finland, Austria, mm. and Malta, and elsewhere, and where and are being held everywhere in the world, as I'm sure you know, David, mm. um, a man of your eminence and distinction, that this is a time in which the world is changing, and this is a time of great danger. So isn't it eminently sensible that the government should have this beginning of a conversation. It is, yes, and I, right. I, I don't dispute that. And now, I, 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 I know I, your I, point I, I about... Mean, I, I, I have an issue about the forum, but I'm not disputing yeah. the need for it to be discussed. And I mean, yeah. all the more reason for, for as many voices uh, as possible to be heard, because, you know, we are going to face a situation where uh, we are going to be asked the likelihood is we are going to be asked for increased involvement in, in common uh, defence arrangements. Some people are referred to the kind of slicing of the salami already in relation. Like we're, we already have Irish troops operating under NATO command since 1997 and yes. there have been various other uh, initiatives. So it's not that we are, are completely removed uh, from this and there is very relevant debates about cyber defence and, and, and the, 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 the sheer surface area of Ireland when it comes to uh, th that whole area. So, of course, these there things... There was a cyber attack by Russians on the HSE. Uh, yeah, no, last, absolutely. Last I mean, year. That, like, Ireland, it's clear there that are Ireland, cables Ireland, under yeah, the Irish. Ireland is very vulnerable uh, yes. in relation to that. There's and the, there are Russian submarines yeah. now but floating I, what around. What I would also welcome, uh, Eamon, is that we don't have a history in this country of very strong public discourse in relation to foreign policy and in relation to security policy. Um, and it's no harm for that to change. And I remember talking to uh, a Finnish colleague about the extent to which security and security policy is very much a part of the common, almost everyday discourse in Finland because of their own particular situation, you know, politically and, and geographically and, and, and how they have evolved. You know, we live in a very different world in relation to that. We're very peripheral. We're very much on the edge. The argument that is going to be made is that that peripherality uh, or that sense of being out on the edge uh, is is not going to provide uh, an adequate response or uh, no. an adequate uh, solution um, in in a way that it may have done in the past when we weren't really threatening anybody and we were not seen as particularly relevant anyway uh, in the overall scheme of things. Um, so you're right about adapting. This isn't about taking uh, uh, trying to root uh, an Irish response to what's going on uh, now in a 1930s or 1940s mindset. But some of the same issues will arise in relation to what is the view of, of, of the people of their own neutrality. 
it's often said that, you know, we have a traditional uh, neutrality. Even that in itself is problematic. What constitutes a traditional neutrality? There was a reason why Eamon de Valera and his colleagues didn't insert neutrality into the Constitution, because they didn't believe you could be absolutist about foreign policy, because circumstances would change. Uh, and what Hockey said in the Dáil in the 1980s, when this came up in the 1980s context, uh, was that, you know, we have to serve our own fundamental interests, uh, and we have to adapt um, to prevailing circumstances. So, you know, th there's always been well, that's that precisely, just to pick up on that point you made, that's precisely the point of the Minister for Foreign Affairs convening these four days yeah. of but discussion. Uh, yeah, it, is, it, it, it surely cannot possibly be that you, and I'm not asking you now to defend the President, that you, dear McFerriter, can be against the concept of an opening discussion to consider all the questions that... But sure, I've uh, said it consistently, I mean, right. uh, that, that I think that, that is, so is something is, is that needs to happen. Is the only problem that it's a dame of the British Empire? No, no. The problem, or part of the problem as I see it, is that I don't think there is enough space being made for those who wish, for very valid reasons, to defend a pro-neutrality policy. That is a perfectly legitimate uh, position to hold. And you've got to parallel what's going on with the Consultative Forum uh, with the assertions that have been made by senior politicians who have made it clear uh, that they want new, they want the policy of neutrality to change. They're on record as saying that. What would worry some people, and you can understand this, is that this uh, forum or this method that has been established uh, is, is going to result uh, in a, an aligning of, uh, of 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 that report with uh, the positions that that's the concern that's been with the positions right. that have been expressed by politicians. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that is the concern that has been expressed yes. by some people, and I think that's understandable. And you have you know, there are a variety of different groups, uh, some of whom have been around for a very long time, who are very staunch defenders. Uh, of, of a neutral policy, and they have exposed an awful lot of the contradictions over the years. You'll remember Edward Horgan, who was very yes. active uh, in relation to what was going on in Shannon. There have been something in the region of three million troops transited through uh, Shannon yes. uh, over the years. And he took a high court case in relation to that, and he lost the case. It was a constitutional case on the grounds that it didn't affect uh, his, his, his personal rights. But the judge at the time accepted the point that he was making um, about these troops being transited through uh, a neutral country was a violation uh, of neutrality. So, you know, th there's a lot of space there for, for, for discussion Precisely. about the validity of that. And yeah. there, with the Consultative Forum, uh, how much consultation is there in relation uh, to those well, questions? The, the, no, but the point you make there about American foreign policy, for example, mm. and, and its many horrors, some of which uh, Michael D. and his fellow humanitarian at the time, Shane Rost, went to Nicaragua mm. uh, to see Daniel Ortega in the 80s when they were both in the Senate uh, together. So I, I and you and all of the people are aware um, that the United States has had its own mm. not very pretty agenda at times, defending what it believes to be its interests. What I'm concerned about now, and I just want to put this to you, Dermot, if we maintain our neutrality, are we saying, or would we be saying, should we continue with it, that we are neutral as between the authoritarian Russia 
China, Iran, and the West, which where, broadly speaking, laws and principles and rights are available to all. Are but we are yeah. we neutral? They're binary absolute, Simon. You know, and I suppose the point I'm trying well, to make yeah. is that neutrality has never been about binary absolutes. No, but when it comes you know, to the crunch, yeah, we but, are but, at a crunch but, but, now. But what is the crunch for a small, um, historically neutral country? Is the crunch that we either join... When the freedoms your we, people value. And, and, if, and if we don't join, then we are endorsing what is going on. Is that... Uh, well, is that the argument? No, the argument is the argument is really this: when the Russians decide to using hybrid warfare to send us a message, when maybe they cut the cables under our, the Irish Sea with their submarines, when they have expressed the expansionist power, the argument might be if China decides to take Taiwan mm. and to do to the Taiwanese people who they consider to be their own people, what Vladimir Putin is doing to Ukraine. Are we to stand idly by to kind yeah, of but you see, it's not. Yeah, I, this, this, is, is, this, this is the we, issue. We, like have, to, yeah. we yeah. have to, in the world, we can agree, can we, that the world has changed dramatically. Yeah. Can we also agree that if we were to decide to abandon our neutrality, that that could have obviously devastating consequences for us. It would also be hugely divisive. And we have got to factor that into our discussion about what kind of a republic we want to live in. Do we want one that is militarily aligned and all that comes with that? Or do we, hopelessly idealistic as it might, might seem, Eamon, do we want to continue to try and make the case for other ways to resolve these kind of international disputes? And again, acknowledging uh, our, our powerlessness um, and, you know, our dependence on others uh, to, to make the necessary initiatives. But can we in some way be seen as a country that can facilitate uh, progress through that means, as opposed to having to decide that this is, this is absolutist, that, you know, we are either uh, against Putin or we're with Putin. I don't think that's a helpful way to look at it. And again, it's not at, at so all... So we would be neutral, would we, as between the authoritarians and the Democrats. When it comes to military conflict, yes. Those when defenders, it comes of, neut defenders of neutrality would make uh, a case as to why that they? should be the case. And how, and this is, uh, <laughs> it's rather funny actually, but I'll ask anyway. I think perhaps Vladimir Zelensky would like to probably make the case for peace and uh, freedom for Ukrainian people. How do you think he might go about persuading Putin and indeed uh, Xi Jinping? I have no idea how he's going to be able to manage that. It's a horrible uh, challenge to be facing. And obviously he's not in any way going to be making these decisions alone. Uh, and why there, there's going to come a point, doesn't, doesn't there always come a point, though, um, where this goes on indefinitely and, you know, it's shaping up uh, to be very, very prolonged. Um, and then there has to be some kind of initiative uh, in order to try um, and bring it to an end um, in a way that will satisfy nobody, really, but perhaps ultimately will uh, prevent an indefinite uh, slaughter. Mm. Uh, that's, you know, the history of conflicts would, of course, tell us that that's how they go. Um, they can go on for a very long time. But, you know, 
is there going to still be a role for, for the EU, for America, for international organizations to be actually interested in that bringing uh, to an end, bringing the conflict to an end uh, through other means? Well, we're very grateful to you, uh, Dermot, for joining us and for enjoying the robust conversation uh, we've had. I think that we are a long way apart, but I, I, I must say I welcome what Michal Martin has done. I'm not afraid of Michael D. Higgins, as many people in public life are, because he's popular. I, I only want to make one final point to you that populism is surely one of the greatest evils of our time. I think the when Irish look people... At, I, uh, I'll, call, I'll, I'll cite I, two people, Boris I, I, Johnson I think, and Donald Trump. Yeah, well, I, I don't think we should be putting Michael D. Higgins in the same category as Donald Trump or Boris that. Johnson. Uh, well, uh, to me, it sounds like you're implying uh, that this is about populism. No. We're a more intelligent and sophisticated populism. people. We elect politicians... Uh, for particular reasons. Uh, we elect presidents uh, for particular reasons. We don't elect them to be, in effect, monarchs, you know, powerless uh, constitutional monarchs. The whole point of distinguishing a republic from a monarchy is, is that you do have a first citizen of the state uh, and a first citizen of the state who surely can make a contribution to these vital questions, given, as you acknowledged, uh, the sheer gravity of them. There can be and there should be debate and there can be and there should be criticism about the appropriate way uh, in which to do that. It does need to be done wisely and it does need to be done uh, with dignity uh, and clearly mistakes have been made and can be made uh, in relation to that. But we also have to consider the alternative uh, that, you know, we don't have these voices that are challenging and that we don't have these voices that are critical. You know, what was the whole point of us doing things differently and you know, 100 years ago, uh, being determined um, to wrestle out from under the yoke uh, of a very powerful empire if we could not go our own way in relation to these issues. Okay, Dermot, uh, I'm sure our listeners, I hope our listeners have had something to think about. So I'll make one more point, not to, in order to score a point, but if we were having this 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 conversation nationally as a people shouldn't we talk to the Swedes shouldn't we invite the yes. Swedes yeah. shouldn't we tap into yeah. uh, their own processes and how they came to abandon their neutrality and the same for for neutral countries who have abandoned their neutrality yes. which I think is one of the points that was being made um, you know when you're looking at the uh, the composition of this kind of of forum. Are you getting a, a broad enough spread of voices in relation to, you know, to those yes. who have experience of maintaining their neutrality and those who have experience uh, of, you know, studying the countries that haven't? Uh, yep. So I think that's a perfectly legitimate suggestion. Okay. Professor Dermot Ferris, a professor of modern Irish history at UCD, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for indulging me a little bit. And we can uh, continue to disagree, I hope, in... Uh, respectful way. Thank you very much indeed to Jeremy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.